This is our fourth session on Colossians 1, 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, having heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. That's one thing we've heard about, your faith. And secondly, having heard of the love that you have for all the saints. So faith directed to Jesus and love directed to the saints. And then comes this ground clause. Because of the hope, this objective reality of the grace of God, and as we've seen, the forgiveness of sins, and the kingdom of the beloved Son, and the inheritance of the saints in light in verses 12 to 14, and the hope of glory, verse 27. So this hope here, this objective reality laid up for you and kept by God for you and your eventual inheritance in heaven, that's the ground of either loving your neighbor alone or faith in Christ and loving your neighbor. And we're trying to understand which is it, both or one, and how. Father, as we dwell one more session now on this relationship between faith and hope and love here, teach us so that we can exercise our faith in Jesus this way and become loving people in this way and see our hope laid up in heaven in this way. We want to get our brains and our hearts adjusted to the Bible, your precious word about things we could know no other way. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How does objective hope laid up in heaven produce love or ground the acting of love toward the saints? Now, we saw last time a glimpse of the answer to that in Hebrews 11. Let's refresh. This is Moses. When he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated. So he re rejects all these privileges of belonging to the royal family. He chooses to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He's not an idiot. Of course, there's 80 years of pleasures in the royal family and then misery forever. He's not a dummy. He's not going to buy that deal. He considered the reproach of Christ, this mistreatment here, the reproach of the Messiah, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now, how in the world did he do that? How did he turn this difficulty in serving the people of God, how did he turn it into a motive to do it rather than not do it? And here's the answer, because he was looking to the reward. Now, I'm going to interpret this as this is hope laid up for him. So, when we see this hope laid up for you in heaven here, and this because clause, I'm saying that this because and reward 
are exactly the same logic. This hope laid up for Moses in heaven, this reward, the hope laid up in heaven, is the ground for how he could actually choose mistreatment and reproach in the service of the people of God. That is, how he could choose love. Right? This is love. I choose rather to be mistreated with the people of God and lead them through the wilderness, cantankerous as they are for 40 years, rather than having all those years in Pharaoh's house. And I do that, how? Because I look to the hope laid up for me in heaven. So my answer to the question, how does this work, is that love here is enabled by our, because we have this hope laid up in heaven. But here's the, here's the glitch. That's an objective reality out there. And for me to move from that to the act of love, this has to be embraced as something sweet and true and compelling and satisfying in order for it to produce this, which is why in Hebrews 11, all of this is called faith. By faith, Moses did this. And so this act right here, he was looking to the reward. That act of looking and delighting and being satisfied. Remember it said back in 11.1, faith is the substance, the taste, the glimpse, the experience of things hoped for. That's this reward or this laid up hope. So something happens between the objectivity of the reward and the activity of love, and that something is called faith here, looking to the reward and having faith born here in the heart through this looking. So, here's the implication of all that. Hope as an objective reality laid up for me in heaven, all rooted in the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins, belonging to the kingdom of, of God and having the glory promised me. That hope, that objective hope laid up for me in heaven becomes powerful in producing love only if the objectivity of the hope becomes a subjective experience in my life. That is, I have to hope in this hope. I have to love this hope. I have to be satisfied in this hope. This hope has to make me happier than all the lovelessness and selfishness would produce in me. So that when this hope becoming a, a subjective power in my soul frees me from all the loveless selfishness, I am now able to love the saints. Which means that faith here has to become operative to embrace this objective hope and turn it into love.
Now, let's, before we draw our final conclusion, let's step back and say, so you're saying, Piper, that this, this hope is not a heart experience. This is an objective reality of reward in heaven, which you defined in several ways from the context. Yes, for that objective reality in heaven to become a subjective power to transform my behavior from lovelessness to love and selfishness to love, it has to be embraced as valuable, and that's what faith does. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Is that the way Paul thought about faith? Yes, it is. Three texts. Galatians 5, 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. When you have faith in your heart, that kind of faith, justifying faith, effects love. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love. So how do we get there? It issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Faith is one of the roots, the necessary root of love. Third, this is James. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith. Apart from your works, I will show you my faith by my works. And in the context, these are works of love, the royal law of love. So you show your faith by your works because the faith is the tree that produces the fruit of works or love. So here's my conclusion from all these three sessions we've spent on this. We've been asking, does because here support faith in Christ? Does it support love? It's obvious by coming right before or right after love that it supports love. It's less obvious that it supports faith. But now I am arguing that it does. That unless both faith and love are awakened, then love isn't going to happen because this hope is not a subjective experience of hoping. This is an objective reward, blessing, glory laid up in heaven. For this hope to become effective, psychologically, motivationally, in producing love. It must become not just an objective reality out there, but a subjective taste, glimpse, enjoyment, embrace, trust in my heart. And that's what faith does. Faith is the substance of what is hoped for and thus the beauty and the glory and the graciousness, the desirableness of this laid-up hope has a essence or a substance that faith right now in the present embraces, experiences in Christ Jesus. He's the ground of it and the sum of it. And when it does, love is produced. So this because clause here, 
this because clause here functions effectively and powerfully because laid up hope awakens faith and faith bears the fruit of love. Lord, do it in our lives.